Hello and welcome to another Creative Football Podcast. This podcast is very special. It's with an absolute hero and a legend of design, Lance Wyman. Just a few announcements. First, this podcast is brought to you by Creative Waffle Live 2019. You can come and see a handful of designers and creatives, give talks about the business side of design, stuff you don't learn about in university, so it might be worth coming along. The tickets are only £10 and you get a free beer on entry. You're guaranteed to learn something and you can ask your own questions on the live podcast, live panel Q&A at the end of the show. So come along for a good night of design talk and inspiration. Tickets are down in the description below or you can search Creative Waffle on Eventbrite. Also, if you're enjoying the show, why not get yourself a Creative Waffle pin badge just like this? You can leave a review on iTunes, a text review, just telling us how much you like or dislike the podcast, and you'll get a pin badge absolutely free. Just leave a text review on iTunes. Thanks very much. Let's get into the show. Hit record, and we're live. We're live on the podcast. Um, well, welcome. Yeah. So, yeah, if I understand that you become a bit of a football fan, a bit of a soccer fan. So oh, I love it. Yeah. No, well, I mean, become. I, I grew up in a little town here called Kearney, which is a Scottish town. And when football, soccer came to this part of the world, that was one of the first places it came. Already? It was the Scottish uh, factory workers that brought it over. So I, I wasn't good enough to play for the high school because we were state champions every year. But uh, yeah, I love it. So wait, do you watch the other MLS or are you just a World Cup fan or what, what happens? No, I kind of follow the Premier League a little bit. I follow oh, the, uh, yeah, oh yeah. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And also, obviously, you got to watch uh, Palais play as well. And obviously, whilst he was alive, and oh, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. That, well, I, it took twice actually. I saw him in the World Cup in 1970, and uh, I also went to the Cosmos Games because all those guys came here, and they were all on the Cosmos team. That was uh, was like a, a party of stars. <laughs> that's very special as well. That very nice, nice. First of all, I'll start off with the design questions. Uh, what does design mean to you? Well, design is is a way of uh, kind of organizing things. You know, I mean, I'm I'm a graphic designer, so it's mostly visual things. Um, and unlike art, it's it's problem solving. It's specifically problem solving, and you're mandated to to solve things. So, in that sense, um, I guess that's design in, in my mind, anyway. Nice, yeah. Um, can we talk about the uh, the Olympics job? I know you talked about it obviously a lot on other interviews, but uh, can you talk me through the process of actually how you got the job of doing that? Like from from literally all the, all the steps you have to do to get that job. <laughs> well, it, it was it was kind of a, an opportune moment for me because I had just finished the um, the Chrysler Pavilion at the World's Fair. I had done the graphics for that here in New York, and um, after the fair. Uh, there was a Mexican pavilion also, and after the fair, one of the Mexican um, architects came over and he worked at the office I was working at in New York, and that was the George Nelson office. His name was Eduardo Terrazas, and while he was working there, um, uh, I, I'll fill you in on the whole history. Mexico got the Olympics uh, through a former president, Lopez Mateos, and um, after he was out of office, he was a very big sports fan and he got the Olympics to come to Mexico City. He became the chairman of the Olympic Committee during the process of organizing for the games. He got very ill. In fact, he went into a coma and he never recovered. He was um, in a coma. And what they did in Mexico, they, uh, they got the guy, the architect who did the World's Fair in New York, who was Pedro Ramirez Vasquez. They asked him, he had just finished, uh, his office had just done the Museum of Anthropology in, the, in uh, Mexico City. And they asked him to come over and run the uh, program for the Olympics. Now, the architect I was working with, Terrazas, in New York, had worked with him on the, on the World's Fair Pavilion in New York, the Mexican Pavilion. And uh, he was called, I was standing right next to him. He got a call from Ramirez Vasquez and asked him to come back and work with him, this time on the Olympics. So one of the things that uh, Tarasas said was, I don't know what we're going to do about graphics. He wasn't asking me. I was very involved with other projects at the office at that point. But he said, what are we going to do about graphics? Well, I, I remembered that. And I asked him later, I said, what are you going to do? And he said, well, we're going to have a competition. We're going to have individual designers come down and uh, spend a two-week period. And we're going to have all the best offices in the world submit uh, proposals. So at that time, I was just ready to leave the Nelson office, and I had met Peter Murdoch over at the Royal College. I went over there on vacation, and I knew people there. Uh, I worked with a 
a graduate at the Nelson office who had a brother still studying at the Royal College. So it was through that connection that I met Peter. And he had just graduated from, he was just graduating, I guess, from the Royal College. And he, had, he got a scholarship to do anything he wanted for a year. And he was coming to New York. Well, I was working at the George Nelson office and they handled the Herman Miller furniture account. So it was kind of a natural uh, fit as far as being a friend uh, in professional areas. So anyway, Peter came to New York and we were just getting ready to leave the office. And I called him and I said, Peter, I just spoke to a fellow I was working with here at the office. And uh, there's something coming up in Mexico that might be interesting for us to do. And that's what we did. So to make a long story short, Peter and I went down to Mexico City um, the end of that year. That was 1966. We went down in November for our two-week period. We, we didn't have any money. We had you know enough money for one-way tickets. I had just gotten married. So the three of us flew down to Mexico City and worked for a very intensive week, two weeks of work. And fortunately, I, I hit on the idea of the, uh, the, you know, the logotype, the Mexico 68 logotype, right at the end of that period. And now it's all history. I mean, we stayed on. In fact, we were there for almost five weeks. And I went into the, um, the architect and said, you know, uh, we've been here over two weeks. Uh, did, did we win? And he goes, oh, I, I guess so. So it was very, uh, <laughs> very loosey as far as, uh, you know, it wasn't anything really well, well established. But... We wound up staying. I had to come back to New York with my wife and close our apartments down and so forth and so on. Peter stayed for a while and he had he had work commitments over in uh, London. And then later on, when things really got intense, I called him and he came back. He was able to come back and then we finished out the program. So we were there right up until the Olympics started. Yeah. You, did you get to see the Olympics as well? You got you got to. Yeah, I did see the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. Was uh, what stage? What stage was it? Uh, was it uh, of your career? How old were you and? How much I, was 29. I was 29 wow. um, and I had just turned 29 in July and we went down in um, November. That's, that's amazing. Is it, yeah. so, so what does a 29 year old have to do to, to do to become an Olympic designer? Like, what's... Well, I was lucky because I, I studied industrial design and my first job was at General Motors and I, I, I really had a lot of responsibility there. I designed the, the, uh, the Delco logo symbol or the Delco logo for uh, all of their parts divisions. We put them all under one um, you know, symbol, and then I developed a packaging program for all of them. So I was using the skills I had learned as an industrial designer, uh, as far as understanding systems and packaging the third dimension. And uh, so that was really good experience. I mean, it was like intense experience. And then after that, I had to go doing the, do my military business and I, Actually, I was in a I was in um, I was in advanced infantry, and I was um, in the area that um, regulated the mapping for um, um, the mortar uh, platoon. So um, I, I I got to know maps pretty well. Yeah. So that was helpful. I, I had no idea that was going to help me in my professional career, but it did. And then when I got out, I didn't really want to go back to General Motors. I wanted to work in a smaller office, um, and uh, I stayed in Detroit and worked with an office where I had an opportunity to go to Zagreb, Yugoslavia, to, to work on a, a trade fair. And I did the graphics for the United States Department of Commerce. So uh, now that got me into exhibit work that was more um, hands-on designing for uh, an environment, if you will. So that really kind of got me going into a more spatial uh, expression of, of visual communication. And I've been doing that ever since. So it's a lot of experience. Background. I mean, to answer your question, I mean, I had Professionally, I had the background, so I wasn't just uh, out of school and, you know, kind of bouncing around. I, I was very lucky. I, I, I had some very intensive experiences uh, mm. before I had that opportunity. So I could handle that part of it. Uh, of course, going to Mexico is a whole different experience than anything I knew. We, we, we had basically an English uh, education here. So all I knew about Mexico is they had piñatas. <laughs> that was a really learning on the job experience. Pinatas and burritos, love it. That's it. What's your favorite Mexican food? The food? Yeah, what's your favorite Mexican food? Yeah. Oh, favorite Mexican food. Oh my God, there's so many different things. They, they have a cuisine that's really so rich. I like a lot of the things that come from uh, Puebla, uh, the mole poblano and things like that. They're, they're really good. And when they're made proper, uh, they're incredible. What is it? Yeah, really, really very, very good. What, what is that? 
No, moly poblano, it, it, it's, it's made with the, the breasts of chickens and the moly sauce is actually a combination of chili and chocolate and oh. a lot of other things, but uh, done in a way that uh, it's kind of magical. Nice. Sounds good to me. Yeah, I'll have to go to Mexico one day. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, go too. <laughs> with this, uh, all this experience you had, how, how do you get into that situation? How does someone come out of like college or studying and then go into all these amazing, amazing situations where you can test yourself as a designer? Well, I, I mean, I, the, the, the history that I just described to you was um, really a hands-on uh, experience all the way. I mean, college itself, I mean, was quite, kind of a hands-on experience because I didn't really have uh, art training in, in, you know, high school. And so it was really a, a challenge right off. I, I studied industrial design at Pratt here in uh, Brooklyn. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of jumped in there and never stopped swimming. I mean, it's been all, uh, all, all experience, you know, really. I, I think the best thing is to just kind of determine that you want to do it. I think that's the important thing. Have an attitude of having interest, having you know, wanting to do something. And then uh, you kind of be sensitive about your, your, your opportunities and don't hesitate. You know, I think that was one of the things that I learned. Don't, uh, don't use your fear to stop you. Use it to deal with it uh, once you get into it. <laughs> well, let's jump into the deep end then. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, so what was, what was the process like in the 70s for, for designing this massive event, like the branding for a massive event? What were the prices like? The process. What was the process? Oh, the process. The process. Mm. Well, there it was a um, a quest for the logo, and uh, once once the Mexico '68 logo was established, it was a matter of applying. And I think one of the first things we applied it to were mastheads for all of the publications. Um, then we got into very very um, you know, wide range of, of dimensional applications, uh, signs for the entrance of the stadiums. Uh, I had Peter come back and he was very, very instrumental in developing a lot of the three-dimensional applications, the torch. Mm. Uh, we worked very closely on signage. We worked on um, exhibit structures. He had uh, done a, a, chair, a chair called Spotty and he had a lot of knowledge about working with uh, fiberboard and cardboard and we did a uh, a knockdown exhibit that traveled to all the embassies and the con you know the embassies and the consulates of Mexico, uh, giving all the schedules and everything and telling what the program was for the Olympics, and he designed that and I, I did the, the graphics on that with him. So, and that was very instrumental. I mean, we really really got out there with some of this stuff. So I think we both had um, background experience that just fit. Mm. You know, I mean, it was it was a lot of groundbreaking um, application work that we did. So you really didn't have a chance to have that kind of experience before the fact of just being there doing it. You know, so it was literally learning on the job, not just for us personally, but for the I think for the design profession itself. I think we did some groundbreaking things there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And with the football, uh, the World Cup as well. Um, how did you learn anything from the Olympic job that took you into the World Cup and with a better, a better step? Uh, well, the World Cup wasn't such an extensive program. There I did mostly, um, well, I did postage stamps for the government and I did posters, uh, but they weren't as organized as the, um, you know, the, the Olympics were. With the Olympics, we had major programs. We had the sporting programs. We, we had 19 different sporting events. We had a cultural program and we had 19 corresponding, well, corresponding in as much as there were 19 cultural events, but they uh, they encompass a lot of different things. I mean, from dance and music to science programs to children's uh, painting programs. So that, in fact, that program, um, I developed a series of icons to represent each of those cultural events. And I think that really gave me the confidence to really pursue icon design because I saw that it really could work. I mean, that was before we had iPhones and now we're all getting sick of icons. But back then, icons were thought of as being for, in a lot of people's minds, they were thought of being for road signs or illiterate people uh, when, you didn't need road, when you didn't need road signs. So, uh, you know, that was kind of groundbreaking in itself because we hung in there and um, did a program that, uh, they, you know, the, the, the Olympic Committee were able to send that the icons all around the world to all the participating sports uh, programs 
And then they uh, coordinated with us to, to send uh, cultural people as well. So it wound up being a really important part of the Olympics in Mexico. It was a really beautiful part of the program, actually. Absolutely. And, and obviously icons being this this thing that you can read quicker than words these days and people recognize. And, and like I've heard you talk about it before, and it's um, something that all languages can read and, and doing the metro stuff in, in Mexico as well. You don't have to be English. Sorry, you don't have to be Spanish to to read it it can be any from anywhere anywhere in the world you can still you know, go to that station and find out where you're going yeah that's true and that's true only it's like any any language i guess it has to be uh, effective from the originator as well as from the receiver uh so there were there were some things that i overlooked i mean for example we you know when you're developing an icon system you obviously know that each icon has to be different than the other icon but where where i got off base a bit is each icon should be definable and describable in any language. Once you accomplish that and you have the difference and the describability or the, you know, the way of um, making it known to other people what it is in your language, whatever that be, then you're, you've got one foot ahead as far as uh, having it be effective. But if it can't be, it can't be described. It's just like uh, a word that you don't understand. You know, I mean, it's just a, a picture. Yeah. Do you, do you think that icons these days are just, like you say, there's loads of them. Do you think they're just designed so quickly that they sort of without any thoughts? Or, or is, I yeah. think it's like anything. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think uh, on the other side of that, they're a real challenge. Uh, there's a lot of very, very effective icons out there. And I think we keep discovering ways to, to make, make them more effective, yeah. make them more uh, capable of dealing with... Uh, you know the speed and the, and the volume of what we're dealing with communication wise now is uh, it's unheard of. I mean, we well we might have known about it in other ways of communicating, you know, but we're so relying on words and so relying on uh, very specific things that are kind of our manufactured or built world. I mean, we might have had we might have had empathic ways and other ways of uh, communicating before we kind of uh, invented the wheel, so to speak, but. Yeah. yeah, when in the sort of eighties, uh, nineties, early two thousands, um, did people, many people, or many designers reject the idea of using computers, or is it just many sort of adopted slowly, or, or how how does that change go about? Well, I you know I've had my own personal experience with the computer. I was teaching at Parsons, um, and in teaching, I taught graphic design, and one of the hardest things to teach is how to have a concept. I mean, you can talk yourself blue in the face and if a, if a student doesn't experience having a concept, then there's no developmental stage. I mean, you have nothing to develop and then there's no refinement of a good idea that's you know been kind of uh, pushed to the point of being refined. Um, so that was a struggle by itself. And then when the computer came in, this was in the mid eighties, um, the departments at school like got you know kind of savvy about computers. Uh, they started getting things like Flash, and the students were really enamored by that. So all of a sudden, the students were instead of looking for concepts, they were enamored by doing animations and things in Flash, and uh, they kind of disappeared as far as uh, wanting to understand or know about or even be able to have a, a, an original idea. Not everybody, but. Generally speaking, that happened, and um, that was hard to teach. I mean, it was hard to teach uh, concept when that was the school um, environment. In fact, those uh, departments that were more technical actually took over the design school, and uh, then it was really impossible to get con conceptual thinking. I think there was a real phase there. Um, I mean, you know, I, I grew up here back. You know, I, I was a young designer back in the period of the, the Mad Men, you know, when you had uh, George Lois and these guys out there, you know, banging the bushes around and with concepts. I mean, they had good, good concepts. I wasn't interested in advertising, but boy, that, I, the idea of having a concept to solve problems with, I mean, if you're not mandated, it's, it, it's still a good idea. I mean, when you're mandated to have trademarking and things like that, you have to have an original concept. But um, I'd like to think that's... Um, something you should look for no matter what you're doing makes it more interesting and more challenging absolutely yeah and and that's something that gets lost these days with computers i think a lot of people young designers well, it's, come, it's come back now quite a bit but i i was in berlin and it was a uh 
kind of a conference on programmers. And it was what was really interesting is that the whole audience were computer programmers and all the speakers were designers. So mm -hmm. you see that now that programming is becoming more easy to do with uh, software uh, and designers are getting involved with actually skipping over to programmer and getting into being able to put stuff together without the programmer. The programmers are, you know, getting on the stick now to yeah. kind of learn more about design. So, but that's a, that's a, that's a process. That's a back and forth process. And the same thing happened in the schools. I mean, um, you know, I think, I think there's more conceptual thinking now in education, but it takes time. And I think technology has really yanked us around quite a bit. Yeah. Sorry, I lost you for a second there. I don't know what happened. <laughs> um, what, what do you think about the future? What's going to happen in the future with these sort of VR and augmented reality and these goggles? What do you think? What's going to happen? Well, you know, I, I think if anything, it's going to pull us back into wanting, wanting to be hands-on with the, the touchy-feely part of our lives because, you know, you can experience that. I think some of the techniques that we've used now pull you away from that. At least with the, the virtual reality, you're, you're kind of getting back into at least having a sense of, uh, you know, the, 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 the idea of the dimensionality, the idea of participating with that. And I mean, it, it's leading to, you know, conceptual thinking in that realm, but it also, we, we can't lose the fact that uh, it's kind of fun to be alive and to have books and to have all of those things that are rather tactile and, you know, they, they satisfy in a, in a, 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 a very real way. <laughs> so you have the real reality, I guess, and you have the virtual reality. And I think it's it's going to be a combination of those two, because in order to manage the real reality, we got ourselves in a, uh, a situation where we have to understand the virtual reality and take advantage of it. Right. Uh, do you think robots will take over the world one day? Well, we're probably robots ourselves by now a bit. Eh? Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. We're probably dumb robots. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. That's quite a scary thought. We are with, with maybe the text just sort of slowly warping us into it because we're always on looking at the screen. There's one day we'll just walk through the screen and that'll be it. Who knows? Yeah, well, I think there's possibilities of doing that right now. So, uh, <laughs> but I think we're smart enough to know the difference. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully it stays like that. I mean, I don't know. What do you think about packaging? What do you think about like logo design and packaging design like in the future then? Because that's going to, I mean, that's going to, uh, that's going to change a little bit with this digital world. And I think it's going to be designed for that digital oh, space. Yeah. One of the things that's going to drive that is not so much from the design point of view. The design point of view is going to follow, uh, I think, in the tracks of uh, saving the planet, if you will. I mean, to get rid of the plastics, get rid of some of the plastics, get get rid of uh, a lot of things that we're just doing uh, without being really, uh, you know, I wouldn't say not knowledgeable, but caring enough about to... Um, to make changes. So I think those changes have to happen and that's going to change design. And I think it's going to be designers that help do that. So, um, you know, and, and there's all kinds of uh, angles that you have to look at that from. You have to convince people that it's necessary. I mean, before they, uh, you know, it's, it's good to be able to swim before you drown. So uh, maybe we have to learn how to swim with this stuff a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Could, could you um, take me back to when you started your own agency and, and or your own studio, your own, your own working for yourself? And um, what sort of struggles do you have starting with that and, and how, you de how you dealt with them? As I mentioned, Peter and I were thinking of starting an office here in New York. And we had a pretty good start. We were starting to get work. And uh, we, we, we weren't working long enough where we were making any money. But we had enough to fly down to Mexico and participate in that. But um, my office really started was in partnership with Bill Cannon. And uh, I came back to New York in 1971 after finishing the uh, well, the World Cup project. And um, Bill and I uh, had the Olympics to start with. So in one of the first things we got was the, uh, the mapping for the, the new metro that they were building in, in Washington, DC. Uh, so we, had, we were able to use um, some of the things that um, I had done in Mexico to, to get us jump started a little bit. But we had a pretty solid office. We worked together for, for 10 years, well, nine years maybe a little more than nine years. And uh, then we split the office up and I had started doing a lot more work in Mexico at that point. So now I'm working more as a consultant. I mean, I, uh, I really enjoy working with other offices. I've always worked, always enjoyed working as a consultant with other designers, not just with architects and people that use design uh, 
you know, services, but other designers, because it's, there's nothing nicer than learning another designer's tricks working together, you know, and vice versa. I mean, you kind of can teach each other. Yeah. And I think that's good. It's always been good for me as far as just being able to be a better designer and to be able to uh, work on projects where we kind of um, did our best and had, you know, just more than more than me or more than whoever I was working with working on it. Well, there's obviously a lot of people like to work with you and uh, they learn a lot from you as well. Yeah, cost- I love design. I mean, I, love, I like working and it's not really working, is it? I mean, it's yeah. Like, I mean, the hard part is keeping up with the bills, but, uh, you know, you get... <laughs> do, you struggle with that? do you struggle with that, these, these oh, big sure, jobs you've done? Sure. I think that's a, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have no formula, but I, I yeah, I do struggle with that. And uh, I think it's a matter of either getting someone to help you with that or putting enough of your time into paying attention to that that's absolutely necessary. So and I think different designers learn how to do that in different ways. Even in even in when well, in this what was it fifties sixties was it still considered a, a place where you, know, you probably won't make much money doing it if you were going into that industry? It's like an artist. Like what I was always told as young as a as a school kid at school, um, you won't make much money doing art or, or doing design. There's not much money in it, and that's by people outside the industry, like parents. Was that yeah. the same when you were kids? Well, I think that that was true. I think back in the sixties is when it started to. Um, Get more lucrative because I think the smart designers uh, started becoming more uh, plugged into the business world, mm. and they actually learned the language of the business world, and they start getting into uh, being able to program um, and get fees that were more in line with services in the business world. So uh, I think that was helpful. Now you can you can you can do that to the degree of losing design. So the trick is keeping a balance. You know, doing what you have to do to be uh, successful in both areas, design and uh, the business part of it. Mm, that's, that's something that's something that um, a lot of freelancers struggle with is approaching the client, talking about money. That's just yeah. something that's not really talked about enough in the industry. Well, I think it's it's for different reasons. I think it's not of, of necessarily interest. It's more interest as far as survival. And uh, it's also something you don't really get taught very much about when you're studying design. Because I don't think the people that are teaching design necessarily have that expertise, and it's usually not built into the um, programming where the students become interested in it, or the teachers, you know. So, you know, it, it's a, it, it's a, the field itself. I mean, one of the most amazing things I've found as a designer is I've met so many interesting people in so many different aspects of what people do, you know, business-wise, uh, cultural-wise. Uh, I mean, I, I, the career, my career has just been so rich that way. And uh, that's one thing that, uh, you know, I suggest that any designer that wants to be a successful designer, just keep that in mind, that it's a very diverse world of experience that you're going to get. So find a way of making it work for yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, with the, the money side of it, would you go to university uh, these days for design? Pardon me? Would you go to university or, or college these days uh, for design, for graphic design? I think so. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, for two reasons. I think you, uh, if you have a good university, you're, you're going to get a heads up on the uh, technology that's involved. You're going to get a heads up on uh, techniques as far as uh, different types of approaches to design. And I think more important, you're going to meet the, uh, your, your own peer group uh, of talented people. And those relationships, like any university uh, experience, I think is one of the valuable things you get out of university. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all of the top, I mean, you know, you take Oxford or Harvard or any of those schools. I mean, I think people that go through those experiences have lifelong friendships that uh, pay off in the long run. Well, you can do the same thing, I think, in, in a university for design. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and you get to know the people. I think that's the main thing that I've missed, not going to university is... Um, the, the contacts you make and the people that you make. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's very important. And I think another thing that's important for young designers, and not just young designers, all designers, I mean, if you're not involved in a, uh, a real uh, program where you really know how to talk to, you know, the business world, just, just remember that you know, we talk to ourselves too much. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's a good idea to, you know, be able to let your aunt do what kind of work you do, what it's for and everything. You know, I mean, that's, that's all, always the old cliche. 
with, with that though, especially in social media, that this day and age in social media, there's a lot of self doubt that goes around, and you and you are in your head quite a lot. Do you have, have you ever felt that self doubt? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I think so. Oh, absolutely. I think we're in a field that's very uh, sensitive to being able to doubt yourself, and I think those moments of uh, getting uh, conviction or getting um, you know someone that really gives you uh, uh, you know liking your work or giving you some way of expressing from their part that what you're doing is valuable uh, is really important. No, I can, yeah, I can think back to uh, different points in my career where it gets pretty, you know, you get pretty downtrodden. And uh, I think you just have to keep, keep it up. You know, I mean, you got <laughs> yeah. Well, you, that's, that's the thing I like about you. You said, you know, the, he's doing it now as well you know you never want to stop doing this design stuff and i can't remember who who you said inspired you to do that there's someone that you said is it polar oh, yeah. oh my god yeah no i was a high school student and uh actually it was the, the son of our milkman i mean the guy that delivered milk in the morning uh they had a television set i used to play you know football american football we used to go out out and, and play on weekends and i was waiting for him and they had a little television. Well, it was a big television with a little baby screen with like a big bubble so you could make it bigger, like a, a big magnifying glass. And they had a program on uh, where this guy was giving a music lesson to a, another guy. And I'm watching this and I'm thinking, wow, look at this old guy. He's, he's so full of beans and he's giving this lesson to this other guy. Now, I was in high school. This other guy was an old guy, too. He's in his 40s. The old, the old, old guy was like in his 80s. And I'm watching this and I'm, I'm thinking, Man, I want to do something like this old guy. I said, you know, to myself, like he's really interested. He's 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 doing so well. It was Pablo Casals, and he was giving a cello lesson. Right. And I think Casals was about 85, 84 years old at that point. And I checked that out, and that's exactly what he was doing when he was that age. He had a television program where he was giving, uh, you know, and the other guy was like dragging along. And I'm thinking, God, this other guy is not, you know, has no energy, and this old guy is just full of energy, you know, and that. Those types of uh, experiences, that's like an epiphany experience. I mean, you see something like that and it really stays with you. I mean, I wasn't exactly sure what the hell I was looking at, who I was looking at, but I knew I, I saw something there that was um, inspiring, was inspiring to me. I think that's, that's exactly what I see when I look at you and I look at these other designers that are doing it at, um, when, when they're and they're in their older ages uh, and, they're, and they're carrying it on throughout their lives and don't want to ever give up. Uh, I think that's... I know I'm young and I've got a long way to go, but it's it's something that I see in myself. I don't want to don't want to stop this creativity, and it's something that's yeah. No, it's a it's well. Amazing. I love your. I, I mean, I'm doing this with you because I really enjoy your uh, your take on design, and you're very inquisitive, and you're very. Uh, I, I think you're very knowledgeable. I mean, you come at it from the point of view of uh, not just. Uh, I mean, you, you give it its breadth and scope that uh, it has when you're you know you're looking at it. So. That's a huge compliment because, uh, yeah, thank you. Because when I did the book reviews on yours, I, I should do them again, to be honest, because now I'm a bit more knowledgeable and I, I know a lot more um, I know a lot more about what I'm talking about now. Uh, so, yeah, I, know, I really appreciate that. It means a lot to me. Uh, so so t- talk to me about your, your parents. We were talking about uh, about other people's input and um, self-doubt. What, what did they think of design and, and you going into the design industry? Well, you know, that wasn't in, in, in my life, that wasn't much of a uh, support system or something that um, I used uh, to bounce off, uh, you know, my doing the right thing. My dad was alcoholic, and I think that basically came from the Second World War. And uh, my mom was a very simple woman, but uh, she kind of hung in there. I mean, I'm, I'm an only child, so I, I grew up in a, a really industrial part of New Jersey. And um, I remember I was complaining about getting day-old uh, white bread for a nickel a loaf. And the guy I was telling, says, well, for Christ's sakes, he says, I had five brothers. I had to get five uh, five loaves of nickel a loaf bread, you know? So, I mean, you, you can't complain to the guys that uh, had the same experience as you. <laughs> but, I mean, I look back and, uh, I mean, the, the one thing that, that happened to me, I mean, I was... Uh, inquisitive enough and I guess popular enough in high school. I was, I was president of my senior class in high school. And, you know, we had a we had an interview with the class newspaper in the latter part of the senior year, just before graduating. And the newspaper, like my the treasurer of my class had an interview and 
he was, I don't know, he was going to West Point or something after graduation. I mean, they, they were the type of questions. What are you going to do after you graduate? What are you going to do with your career? And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my God, I have no idea. I mean, I mean my, my grades are so crappy. I'm probably not, not even going to be able to get into a school. And, you know, so then it finally got to me. And um, I said, well, when I, when I got that question, I said, well, I don't know. I don't have any plans right now, but I'm going to do something with my art. And I, I said that and I'm thinking, you know, Christ, I, I would never expect myself to say that because, you know, when you're a guy in, in school, you're, you're playing sports and things. You're not in art. I mean, you, you can get into problems and then, you know, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> all, all of a sudden I'm saying I'm going to do something with my art. OK, so this, the school newspaper came out and I read it and it looked just as good as going to West Point or <laughs> All this other stuff. In fact, it had more. It had more intrigue to it because I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. Well, my father was stationed down in, uh, I think it was someplace down in Virginia at that point, and he was in the transportation corps. And he had a ship, and he had a, a, a rather large ship in the Army Transportation Corps. And uh, I said, "Hey, Dad," I said, "You guys, you have any guys from New York on your ship?" And he says, "Yeah." I said, "Ask him what the best art school is." This is my research, right? <laughs> He says, Pratt. He says, I have two guys. And, you know, later on, I spoke to him. He said, Pratt. He said, they both say Pratt. So I, I apply at Pratt. And I couldn't get in, of course, because my grades were so lousy. But uh, that was how I first got started, you know. <laughs> yeah. Love it. What do they think of you like, doing design? Though? What do you, are they, they, do they really mind? Do they really mind you doing design? Or, or do they just sort of go, go with it and keep to your own thing? I was the first one in my my family to go to high school, so right. Okay, I yeah. think it was that kind of an overview as far as uh, worrying about, you know, my, okay. you know, my my father's attitude was, God, if you get a, kid, a college education, you have got it made, you know. Yeah. So I don't think there was any real fine tuning of. Uh... <laughs> was that something that's um, I don't know. The college education thing is that that was something that if you went through college, you, you know, in those days you, you sort of had a job. But if you do if you do it now, it's not guaranteed that you get a job straight out of college. Do you, did you get a job? Like, was it more guaranteed back then that you had a job straight out of college? Probably more so than it is right. now. But uh, yeah, I would say. I mean, I don't have figures on that, but I I think yeah. the general what I've heard generally indicates that. Yeah. When people ask uh, say to you, you're a, you're a design legend or uh, what's your thoughts and what, what do you think about that? Well, uh, I, I've come to really like that. Yeah, I mean, that's okay. I mean, the first time I, I really heard that word penetrated, I was up, I gave a talk at a conference up in Liverpool and they introduced me as a uh, a rock star of graphic design. I said, hey, I said, you guys are... <laughs> <laughs> about rock stars. I said, this is quite a place to be getting uh, kudos on that level. Paul <laughs> uh, McCartney of graphic design. that. <laughs> No, I like it. I used to be shy about that. You know, I had a, uh, a funny experience. I was up in, I think it was Sacramento, California. It was a design conference. And I gave a talk and a woman came up after the talk and she really started laying it on as far as how wonderful my programs up in Canada were. And I mean, I, I was, I, I felt embarrassed, you know, and I, 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 I said, well, it could have been better. She stopped me dead in my tracks and she said, I just gave you a compliment. She said, are you telling me my compliment isn't worth anything? I'm thinking, my God, you know, she's right. You know, I mean, I, I could feel that I, I had said something that was uh, not, not going to go down that well. And she says, just remember, compliments aren't just about you. I said, uh, you know, I said, I'm a little shy. She says, well, get over it. She says, you know, compliments aren't just about you. And, <laughs> you know, she's very right, you know, and uh, I think that's something that comes along with, uh, I mean, you know, I think being a designer, you have to have an ego, you have to have a little narcissism involved because that's necessary at times to just get your ass in gear and to keep going, you know. I mean, you have to have some confidence like that. And I think also, if you look at shyness, it's a way of protecting yourself. And sometimes you get into a situation where, uh, you know, but you have to always remember that you're the guy that's creating the shyness, you know. Mm. And if you realize the fact that you're protecting yourself with it, and if you do get over it, uh, it opens up your life a little bit more. I mean, it happened to me personally. I mean, you know, I mean, I think public speaking is something that's uh, very, has been very helpful for me. But I think that whole idea of um, looking at shyness as something that's, um, you know, it's not necessarily comfortable. 
and it does work. You, you can kind of get get something off you if, if you uh, you know use it effectively. You probably get very good at using it too. But it, you make it. I mean, it's 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 a it's a mechanism that you use yourself, and uh, you have a choice of being that way or just jumping in again, you know, and saying, oh, "Okay, yeah, <laughs> here I am." I mean, showing up is the hardest thing to do, and being shy is not showing up. I I, I mean, that's that's a bottom line that. Uh, that I really have a lot of uh, faith in that uh, you're much better off if you just show up. Yeah. And that's like, don't have attitude, be there, use all your goddamn senses. I mean, don't, uh, don't, you know, don't take anything for granted that you know without knowing. I mean, you, you, you know, when you know something and when you don't know something and the rest is all based on attitude. I mean, that's uh, in general, simple terms. That's basically how we all operate. And I think the, uh, the idea of, uh, Really, get making an effort to show up, and uh, don't you know? Don't use all of those uh, uh, you know kind of attitudes that you we all have uh, to to generate what the hell you're dealing with because you're not dealing with that. You're dealing with, uh, especially as a designer, I think it's really important to see what you're dealing with, and um, you know, showing up. It's very simple. One of the hardest things in life to do, but it's a very simple thing to say. Just show up. Yeah, I, I was thinking about to all these podcasts I've been doing and talking to these people like yourself and, and Paul Scher and and uh, Stefan Sagmeister and just these these huge designers that uh, everyone everyone puts them on another level. And uh, something I've learned while I was going to these design conferences is that everyone is on the same level. Everyone wants to help each other out, and they're all, all people at the end of the day. And um, I think a lot more people need to realize that, and then and then if the whole community will come together as one. And it's um, it's a lovely thing that talking to these like yourself and, and just getting experience and knowledge from people like that and but yeah like you're saying about shyness it, it gets a bit to you sometimes when you're, when you're talking <laughs> when you're talking to these people and I say yeah especially I don't know why but Paula Scher and uh, Debbie Millman are a bit more uh, maybe because it's women I'm a bit scared of the women I don't know but anyway <laughs> it's um yeah oh, that's a good example I mean gosh she's so, so so good and so intelligent and so uh so there I mean she's uh right there when you talk to her yeah, absolutely. Um, so the last few questions. Uh, first of all, um, what's your best advice to, I mean, you've talked loads of advice already, but do you have one specific bit of advice you would tell uh, young des young designers and people getting into the industry? Well, I think really uh, know yourself. I mean, I think that's really important because uh, you're the person that's going to be jumping into all of this. And I think, uh, you know, really be honest with yourself if you really have the interest. Are you doing it because you're really interested? And if you are, uh, just prepare yourself to have the ups and downs like anything else, you know? I mean, it's, and it's a lot of work. I mean, if you're like, it's like preparing for the Olympics as far as if you're an athlete, you know? I mean, don't think it's just going to happen. Um, you've you've got to work on it. You've got to understand what you're doing. And um, then coming back to my basic advice, and that's uh, really just try to show up, try to be there. You know, and just just respect yourself and respect the fact that you can see, you can hear, you can evaluate and uh, don't take um, a lot of crap if you don't have to, you know, and really be appreciative of people that are there to help you and, you know, be appreciative of people that are smarter than you are and you can learn from them. And there's a lot of things that you can see if you look. And uh, I think that's the most helpful uh, specific advice anyone can have because every, everybody has a different uh, venue, a different route, a different, uh, you know, different possibilities in their lives, different amounts of talent, different amounts of intelligence, different amounts of whatever you need, you know. Okay, yeah, so open your eyes and, and know yourself. Yeah, I think that's it. You know, but I think that's general advice, not just for designers. That's good for everybody. And it's good for me. I mean, I try to do that. <laughs> instincts. Like you, you always talk about instincts and trusting your nose. And oh, my God, yeah. Well, we're in, a, we're in a very subjective field, too. I mean, it's a combination of, uh, of both. I mean, we can get into some very, 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 uh, you know, uh, physical, scientific types of uh, overviews as far as having to understand certain types of things. But... You know, communication is, uh, I always think of uh, design as, uh, you know, I've used this, I've said this before, it's like telling a joke. Uh, you can't explain it to make it better. 
you know, if you think about that, uh, you know, you can look at that. It, it applies to anything you do as a designer. Yeah. Whether it's visual, whether it's uh, you're writing something, and you know, and we are we are mandated to uh, to have solutions to things. I mean, it's not uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's definitely certain rules and and in graphic design we have to follow. And um, yeah. Uh, the other, so, the other thing as far as just starting out, and I see this happen so often, uh, where you get out of school as a student and you have all of these grandiose ideas of what's good design, what's bad design. Uh, then you get your first job with a client that has really either bad ideas about design as far as understanding it. or And, you, and, and, and students can get yanked around and they can lose their confidence. Try to be very aware of who you're working with because your client Whoever you're working with is you know, look at that as a partnership, and if uh, if that doesn't work as a partnership, uh, you're usually in trouble. That's true. I've heard that before. Yeah, that's a good kind I mean, of I've heard designers say they're going to teach their clients about design. I'm thinking, oh my gods, how about learning about what you're designing for and uh, let that be a, a mutual trip together, not uh, taking the high road. And I'm going to teach teach a client. I mean, I've had clients that. My gods are just so damn smart. I don't get to teach them anything. I learn a lot from uh, the processes or the industries that they're they're involved in. Or <coughs> it's very much a partnership. Yeah, yeah, it's a partnership. Right. Um, what, what's your best purchase under a hundred dollars? My best what? Purchase. Purchase. Oh my gods. Under a hundred dollars. Probably a, a a pencil. I mean, when I was that's a good uh, answer. Yeah, the pencil was kind of one of the the best things I had. That's a very good answer. Have you ever heard the thing saying that um, a basketball isn't worth anything to me, but to LeBron James, it's worth a hundred million dollars? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think I very early on there was a book on designers, and I was I was interviewed, and I was in it. This is way back in the seventies, and. Um, in, in, in the same kind of spirit, you've heard the thing, uh, a picture is worth a thousand words. Hmm. Well, I was talking about icons. I said, if a picture is worth a thousand words, an icon is worth a thousand pictures. You know, <laughs> and it, I just off the top of my head, I said that. And it's, you know, you say something like that and you think, well, you know, that does make sense. And it, it does make sense. You know, I think I used the Red Cross as an example after I said it. That, uh, you know, you see the Red Cross and, you, you know, it's worth a lot more than a thousand pictures. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, final question is, how do you want to be remembered? Oh, God. Your podcast, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did a podcast with Mark, and uh, there it is. <laughs> wow. that's, that's, a, that's a hell of a compliment, that. Uh, yeah. I don't think you have any control of that. You have a control over what you do, but, True. you know, uh, other people's memories is... Uh, something that I'm not going to take responsibility for. No, that's fair, fair enough. That's a good answer. Um, is there anything you would, you would like to design, though, in the future? Is there anything that you haven't done yet that you'd like to do? Well, I've, I've been doing things. One of the things that has always struck me is the, uh, the, whole, uh, the whole area of equality, human equality. And I think if we don't get to that, if we don't find ways of making that work. And I'm not just talking racial, I'm talking, you know, there's a lot of different ways that we kind of create, you know, differences. Differences are fine, but when they become, um, you know, destructive, uh, then they have been just that. I, I'd, I'd like to do more work in the area of, you know, promoting equality. And I've done that with, just recently, I, I had um, done some work for Puma. It was a program called, uh, power through peace. And I took um, the, the dove symbol I had done with the Olympic program in Mexico, the peace symbol, we had a peace program. And I took the black power fist from uh, Tommy Smith and John Carlos uh, from the Olympics. And I actually, I met both of those guys in the 50th anniversary of the Olympics, you know, and it's, it's so, so nice to, to, to meet people like them. I mean, both of them now are professors and they're very, very different personalities. But for Puma, I did the, uh, the combination of the dove and the, um, and the black power fist. And, it, you know, it's, it's out there and it's a, it's a way of putting graphics together uh, to make a statement, you know. And 
I mean, the students use my work in Mexico to be, you know, trouncing the Mexican government and basically for equality. They that's what they were out there for. So, um, yeah. And I don't mean to make it political. I think when it becomes political, it just makes it worse. I think to really make it be visible as a very powerful, positive way of us dealing with each other. That's what I'd like to see in the next few years, or, or the next, especially where the American, the way the American government's going, and just just graphic design being used as a source, of, as as in a powerful way. Yes. Um, rather than rather than just pretty pictures on. Yeah, Instagram. Well, I think we can do that. I mean, I think I think yeah. we, can, we can nick away at that because uh, we're in a, we're in a profession that somehow seems to have a lot of uh, sen- sensibility and sensitivity in that area, and uh, make it powerful. You know. Make those statements. The visual statements are, are great. You know, when they work, they really work. Mm. When you don't have to explain them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the icons. Back on the icons. <laughs> wow, this is this has been an absolute pleasure. So thank you very much for this. It's been a pleasure to talk with you and I and, and keep doing what you're doing because I think it's important uh, you know, for design itself. And it's it's certainly important for young designers because uh, I mean you're you're uh, you're not so uh, so aged yourself right now. So uh, as you get there, keep it up. <laughs> that's, the, that's the mask I've got on. I'll take it off in a minute. Um. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Pablo Casals comes back. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. Um, but yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for this. Um, well, thank you, Mark, and I. I really appreciate you asking me, and I hope it's something that is good for you. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Crazy Waffle Podcast. Uh, thank you very much for joining in and, and just supporting the show all along. As always, I mentioned earlier, you can get a Crazy Waffle pin badge by leaving a review on iTunes. And you can also get discounted design resources via Design Cuts. That is linked down in the description below again. Use the referral link and the, uh, the affiliate link down below to help out the podcast. We've now also got show notes as well. After 100 episodes, we've, we finally managed to do show notes. And that is down in the description as well. And just, yeah, thank you very much for supporting as always. an absolute pleasure talking to Lance Wyman, a hero of mine again, as I mentioned earlier. Um, I'll see you in the next episode.